Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I got a couple uh, uh, announcements for you and a couple things to share with you before we get into God's word. And the first one is that you would have noticed that this morning, Pastor Jake was not leading us. And you say, well, yeah, we always have other worship leaders that, that lead here. Yeah, but Jake was scheduled to lead. So how come he was not up here? Well, if you've seen him today, and he's here, even despite my encouragements to stay home, uh, that he ended up with a double ear infection and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now, he's the kind of guy that will lead whether he's sick or not. So a lot of times that you hear him lead, sometimes he'll have uh, vocal problems. He just pushes through all that. He's kind of one of those those tough guys, right, that, that uh, can lead even when he's not feeling awesome. But this one got really, really bad, and so it kind of took him out of the mix. And, and he didn't know that it was going to take him out until about two days prior. And that's when um, uh, one of our other worship leaders on staff, and that is James Love, he stepped in. Not only did he step in for this weekend at the last minute, which is really hard because the whole team has practiced and done everything else with Jake, uh, but he's also covering the worship night tonight. So we have a worship night tonight. Can we thank James for that? You know, a, a lot of times you'll, you'll come into church and you'll say, man, oh, that all went smooth. And then we kind of get into our little critique mode and we do all those different things. And you don't realize all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, right? You don't realize, oh, that guy just stepped in at last second and this one took over for this. And you don't realize all the moving parts that are going on. But what it does, it reminds me of this fact. It reminds me of the fact that we have had Pastor Jake for seven years. Now for seven years, he is, uh, and can we just thank him right off the bat? Uh, he is a huge bright spot in my life. Um, love that guy. And we get along super well. Well, on our staff, every seven years for our full-time leaders, we uh, have them go on a sabbatical so they can go rest up and then get excited again and then come back for the next seven years and rest up and get excited and come back. So it is his turn to go on sabbatical. So he's going to be going on sabbatical for the next uh, several weekends. And so what I want to encourage you is that we have all our other worship leaders here at the church that's going to be covering for him. What that means is I want you to encourage them. I want you. Yeah. Amen. Right on. It's great. When you see anyone other than, uh, pastor Jake, come on up here. Just know it's a little daunting to come in and lead worship with a very large group like this. And so when they step forward, uh, that's a huge challenge. So every time you see somebody, would you make sure that you follow up with them? If they blessed you, if they maybe led a certain set of songs that you went, wow, those really led me into the throne room. Or if you look at them and you go, wow, the way, what you said in between those two songs that really touched my heart. If you could encourage them all, give them a hug and just say, you blessed me. That goes a long way for these leaders. And when you do it, be specific, right? The whole, uh, you did good on that thing. Okay. That's not helpful. Nobody knows what you mean on that. So be very specific to let them know that you were blessed. I know that when Jake is gone, he's always concerned for his leaders that they would be received well and that they would be able to honor the Lord. I can tell you one thing about all of our worship leaders, their hearts are golden. 
and they love the Lord very deeply. And so that's why they're up here. So encourage you on that. Here's a, an announcement. I got two of them real quick for you. One of them is uh, those of you that were part of our landscape party, right? There's no party as exciting as a landscape party. Those of you that were part of our landscape party that decorated out all those bushes and trees and everything out here on the Washington side, now that the weather has allowed us to have some sunlight, uh, and we needed all that rain, yeah? Come on. Now we're out of, we're out of drought, I guess, officially now. So praise the Lord, right? The Lord heard our cry. Um, and now it is looking beautiful out there. That is all because of you, all of you that went out there and served there. Uh, this is one of those things where I'm going to encourage you and then manipulate you. Okay. I just, I'm just letting you know in advance, right? Because my wife does this to me all the time. Here's what she does. Here's what she does. She, uh, when I do the dishes, she goes, did you, you did that so fast. I just, you know what? You should really do it all the time. And you're like, wait a second. I was just manipulated, right? All right. I'm going to do that to you. So here's the thing. It looks so beautiful out there. You guys, I would love for you to do it again. All right. So what we have is, uh, we have a whole new landscaping piece. What, what we inherited when we came onto this campus was kind of a broken irrigation system. So we have a lot of drip line stuff and all these things to fix. So one of the things that's in danger is for us to lose the redwood trees over on this side. Now I would, I would hate to lose those trees. So we need to do a lot of infrastructure work. It's not hard work, but it does need someone with skills. I don't know if landscaping is a spiritual gift, but I don't have it. I'm just letting you know right now I can be a grunt, but I don't know what I'm doing. All right. So here's what we would need is for, we need a whole bunch of us to be able to be the workers, but we would really like to have a couple people be team leads. And what we need is someone that understands how that stuff works. Now we have the big dog. The big dog who runs it for us is the gentleman that does our landscaping here. His name is Kevin Woody, and he is extraordinary. However, he can't be the team lead for everybody. He can't do all the org. He has a full-time job, right? Doing this already. So if you have that gifting where you just go, man, I have no problem getting my hands dirty. I know what's going on. I can organize and instruct teams and get them together. We would love for you to step forward and say, I'm in. So would you contact Heidi Coffrin? She is our director of operations. Contact her on the city. You just put in Heidi in the search bar. And if the last name is weird, that's her. So it's Heidi Coffrin, right? And you just put that in there and just send her a message. I would love to be a team lead for the landscaping. If we get the first phase of it done by the end of May, the city will give us a $5,000 rebate. So there's a bunch of like incentives. Not only are we saving money because if we do not do this as a family, we got to bring in a whole crew to do it from the outside and pay them high dollars. So we don't want to do that. We would love to do that because we can as a family. So if that's something that you are willing to do and jump in and be a part of it, by all means, go ahead and contact Heidi Coffrin on the city. All right. Last announcement. You heard it said that uh, on May 7th, I'm going to be doing another talk on anxiety and talking through my book, right? We're going to have that night, we're going to have a ton of books, so you don't need to go buy one and bring it. I have them all here, and I have them already signed in advance that you can purchase them here. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to put it on your calendar because every week, multiple times a week, I hear this. 
Pastor Lance, my friend is struggling with anxiety. My friend is struggling with anxiety. My friend is struggling with anxiety. I want all those friends here. Uh, because they need a dose of encouragement. They need a dose of help. And so I'm going to briefly go over a list that we did last time of helps. And then we're going to go all into new information, talking about how to avoid triggers and how to walk through this stuff and what do we do. So if you struggle with it or anybody that you know struggles with it, I want you here. It's only an hour and a half. It's 6 to 7.30, and it is May 7th. Mark that down in your calendar. That is next weekend, next Sunday, all right? All right, that's it. Why don't we get into God's Word? Take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part 14, the last part of this series. We have gone through the book of Colossians line by line, and we're going to wrap up the entire thing right here, right now. It's going to be great. And then we are going to uh, hit a couple things and launch even our brand new series that's going to be coming up, and we'll be revealing to you uh, that very, very soon. Part 14 of Purposeful Christianity, and as I'm drawing your attention to the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, let me just share this. We began this series talking a lot about identity, that who God has made us, most of Christianity is just understanding who he has made us to be and what he's revealing to us. Christianity is not primarily a rules and regulations religion. Christianity is about discovery and letting go of the old and embracing the new. Well, that's awesome. We need that, right? Well, we started this series by talking about identity and saying, and now we need to live on purpose. We need to live with intentionality. We are not in a social club. We are not merely here to hang out with each other, although that's great. We are here to get filled up and get right back out to being salt and light in the world. We are supposed to be purposeful people. Well, here's a couple things I need you to know about serving. First thing is this. The Bible says that you and I need to serve in the place where we are called. What does that mean? It means who were you when God rescued you? And that will likely be your mission field. What we tend to do is get saved and then do all our stuff in a Christian environment. That's not effective. What we need to do is get saved and bring that transformation to the people that we have influence with. So for example, if you got saved and you work in a cubicle, Jesus needs to be brought to the office. If you work in a, as an auto mechanic, your job is not to quit being an auto mechanic and go into full-time ministry. Your job is to be the best auto mechanic you can be and present Jesus Christ in a very natural way. It's called marketplace evangelism. And what it is, is really how Christianity was designed. Christianity is not designed on the concept of professional leaders. Christianity is designed on the every leader. Meaning that all of us are out there anointed and gifted to go do what we do. I don't need you to bring your friends necessarily to see me. I need you to talk to your friends about it. Why? Because there's some things they will only hear from you and not from me. Why? Because what God has done is he's built us all uniquely. We have a certain way of saying his words with his voice. 
Some of us will say, well, I listen to this guy on the radio. I like his voice better than my voice. You missed it. Why? Because he can't talk like you. He talks like him or she talks like her. That's not what God needs. God made his voice come through your vocal cords uniquely in order to minister to a certain group of people. If you abandon that and allow someone else to talk for you, the Lord is ripped off. All of us are unique and we need to be who we are with Jesus Christ in our environments. We don't all need to abandon the world and just hang out together. We need to be in the world sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Now, you realize we are all on mission. Yes, you realize that all of us, that's what we do here. We, we go out and we share the good news of Jesus Christ. You should be impacting people all the time. You should be having conversations to care for them and love on them. Anyone that has pain in their lives, you should have something to say about it, right? If they come to you and they go, man, I am really struggling today. Or if they come to you and they just go, man, I hate this, blah, blah, blah. You got something to say. You bring into them and go, well, can I pray for you? What do you mean pray for me? What's wrong with you? Pray for you. Listen, dude, I don't need to pray for you right now. I'm just saying you want me to go home and I'll pray for you. That just brought Jesus into the conversation. Whatever is bitter, you can bring the cross into and it can make it sweet. You understand what I'm saying? So that is what all of us are doing. But we have a very specific voice that God has designed us to speak for him. So please do not allow someone else to do all the talking. Your voice needs to do the talking. Amen? Amen. Let's dive into Colossians chapter four, verse seven, Colossians chapter four, verse seven. Let me give you one more warning caveat, whatever have you, before we dive into this uniqueness apart, isn't glorious uniqueness and diversity in unity is glorious. What do I mean? It is natural in the world to say I'm different and I don't hang out with you. That's natural. What is supernatural is I'm different. We don't have a lot in common, but we have Jesus in common and we hang out together. That's supernatural. That is glorious. Here's what I mean. A lot of times, once we get fired up with the Lord and we understand our giftings and everything, we all will have a tendency to want to go do things by ourselves. That's not right. You can go minister, but you still need to be unified with your brothers and sisters because your uniqueness shines next to my uniqueness. If you're all by yourself, everyone assumes that's how it always is. They don't see how beautifully unique you are, but when we're collectively together and everybody's different, yet we are still together, that sends a message out into the world. So uniqueness apart is not nearly as glorious as diversity and uniqueness together. We need to be committed to one another and doing ministry together. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Four of you are with me. Praise the Lord. This is good. This is that's that's up from three last week. So we're, we're all right. That's good. Um, Paul is about to talk about all the partners or some of the partners that he's had in ministry. Warren Wearsby wrote a commentary and he said, if my count is correct, Paul refers to 100 people that partnered with him in ministry. 
Why is that important? Because some of us have the misnomer or misinformation that Paul was some radical solo guy that went out and was this killer evangelist and did his own thing by himself. That is incorrect. In the Bible alone, he refers to 100 men and women that God used to partner with him to get done what he needed to get done. There is no lone wolves. What we need to do is do it together. And so what I'm going to be talking about all morning is partnering together while we are different. And so I want to encourage you through this whole message. I want you to track with God and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? Who am I represented in this story? And what do I do differently? Because I'm going to suggest that as I go through all this cast of characters, you're going to find someone that is a little bit like you. And God has something to say. Colossians chapter 4 verse 7 begins like this. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Y'all remember Paul's in prison, yeah? He's in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's got all these buddies that are around. They're coming in and out of the jail, contacting him. Well, he is now writing a letter to the Colossian church. And he's telling them, I'm going to send a couple guys with you. I need to let you know what's going on here. And I'm going to send to you a guy named Tychicus. What does he represent? The trustworthy one. The trustworthy one. In today's world, loyalty, trustworthiness is a rare commodity. We are in a season and a generation. Every generation gets worse about the idea of sticking in with something. We are so quick to change and change, 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 change. We're built on change. Loyalty and trustworthiness is becoming more and more rare. This man represents trustworthiness and loyalty. Are you that person? Because let me explain who this guy is. On the surface, you would probably go through the book of Colossians and you would say, oh, good meat, good meat. Oh, we got to the end. Bye-bye. And we close it. If you do that and don't dig into it, here's what you're going to miss. Guys like Tychicus. Here's who he is. He ends up connecting with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey. Paul gets this brilliant idea on how to connect the Jews and the Gentiles because Jews and non-Jews didn't get along. They're in the early Christian church. They don't like each other. So he comes up with this idea. He says, wait a second. Jerusalem, it's the church there is super poor. You know what would be awesome? Is if I went over into Asia Minor, connected with a bunch of Gentile churches, they took up an offering and we all brought it over to Jerusalem and said, hey, we love you. We're going to put our money where our mouth is, literally, and hand it to you and say, we love you, we're in your family. That's a brilliant idea. But now all those congregations have to have somebody who's trustworthy to carry the cash. You're not doing the Western Union thing. You're not, you know, you're not going to be able to wire money. You literally got to cash it out, hand it to a guy, and he's got to cross over from one continent to the other. Because he's got to take this stuff all the way to Jerusalem. 
So who knows where his church is from, but he's got to risk danger, bandits, all that stuff in order to deliver that money. Who do you select? I'll tell you what, you're not going to select some flaky guy. I'll tell you that. You got to select Mr. Trustworthy. That's Tychicus. Here's the cash. Get it there and let them know that we love them. Who would you grab? This guy. By the time they're in ministry together for a little bit, Paul needs to send out some letters to help the churches, encourage the churches, and give an update. Who does he pick? Tychicus. Later on in ministry, when he needs Pastor Titus to leave his church and come visit him, who does he send in his place? Tychicus. When he needs Pastor Timothy to leave the church of Ephesus, that's a mess, to come visit him, who does he send? Pastor Tychicus. He's the guy that is so gifted, he's so multi-gifted, but he's so humble, he doesn't care if he's the mailman or if he's the senior pastor. It don't matter. Whatever the Lord wants to do. But he gets the job done. If you hand it to this man, it will get done. He's not interested in starting stuff and not finishing it. He gets everything completed. Are you that person in the church? Well, I don't know if I'm all multi-gifted and fancy. Are you trustworthy? If we hand you a task, if we say, hey, brother, sister, come here for a second. Can you handle this for us? Are you going to nail it and get it done? If you are, this is you. You are precious in the church of God. I just need you to know that because it's rare. But that's only one of the people. Take a look at this. And with him, I'm going to send Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, meaning he's from your area. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Who's Onesimus? He's the runaway slave. He's the man that represents new identity and facing what he has done. Check this out. Here's how Onesimus' story goes. There was a church in this area of Colossae. There's three cities in that valley. Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. There's a home church there with a guy named Philemon. Philemon probably has a church in his house. Wealthy guy has servants, has paid for those servants. As you have heard in the series, you could sell your services yourself to somebody else for a time and you would pay off certain debts. So he paid good money in his mind to have this man work for him. So he's like his employee. The employee said, I don't want to work for you anymore. Forget you bailed out one day and ran away in a sense in that culture, in their economy, that was defrauding the owner. When he's gone, he meets a guy named Paul. And his life gets changed. Now all of a sudden he becomes a believer. Now all of a sudden he becomes helpful to Paul. And Paul sits him down one night and says, Hey buddy, I appreciate the fact that when you got saved, all things became new in Jesus. But you got a couple debts to pay. Wouldn't it be nice if we just got saved and we could say all new in Jesus. And then the dude that you owe five bucks, you'd be like all new in Jesus. He's like, no, it ain't. It is all new with five bucks. That's what it is right? When we become fresh in the Lord, we are cleansed. 
But sometimes we also have to face up to some of the things that we've done. Onesimus had to go home and that's a drag. It'd be nice to just ignore it all and keep running, but that's not what good Christian men and women do. He had to own up to it and head back home and say, I'm sorry. This guy's going back. What's neat is that Paul said, you're not going alone, buddy. I know you're legit. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. You bring this in with me, they will welcome you. And Philemon, I'm writing you a whole letter, buddy. You better treat this guy good. You're a believer. You got to represent him as a believer, right? Okay. Who's next? Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Who's Aristarchus? He's the tough guy. Every church needs someone or someones that are super hardcore and a little off kilter. Right? These are the people in the church that are a little bit crazy eyed. They all have a little twitch, right? You know, and they're always ready to get in the mix. They're always ready to do something. That's what this guy represents to me. Why? Because when he connects with Paul, one of the first times we see him is there's a massive riot. Paul incites this huge riot at the temple of Diana in Ephesus. People are going to get killed. The mob comes in to beat people up. Aristarchus is right in the middle. Paul even gets out of some of it. Aristarchus is like, go, Paul, I got this. Yeah, he's running into the, this guy, right? He's just intense. And at all times, he's like, God's good. God's good. Everyone's like, dude, relax, man. What's wrong with you? You know those kind of Christians? You gotta have those. Those are those fire Christians. And they bring in, now, are they normal at dinner time? No. <laughs> they really shine during messed up times. In regular times, they're always agitated, right? You're like, go do something. Yeah? They're the front line folks. So sure enough, Aristarchus, he's the one that when Paul goes, dude, I gotta go to Rome and I'm probably gonna die there. And Aristarchus is like, yeah, we are. Yeah, we're dying together. Let's go, bro. <laughs> right? So he goes on this voyage and they end up in a shipwreck and they're on Malta and everything's going bad. He's the guy that in the middle of the storm is like, whoa, hanging on to it and everything. Paul this is awesome. The church needs weird people. That's all I'm saying. Hmm. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Who's this guy? What do you mean, if he comes to you? Is he coming or not? It's a pretty simple question, buddy. And why wouldn't we welcome him? What do we what, mean? Of course we're going to welcome him. Wait, who did you say it was? Oh, it's John Mark. Y'all know the story 12 years before this letter, John Mark had been saved. His mom ran the home church. So he was around it all the time. But a guy came by likely a man named Peter. John Mark gets saved. Peter's a big deal. He was the head of the early church. Well, when Peter's gone, a new guy comes through town, another big dog. His name's Paul. Paul, the apostle comes into town and connects with his John Mark's cousin named Barnabas. Barnabas is a big deal. So now you have two big dogs. 
the Holy Spirit calls them both out to lead a missionary journey. This is not for the light hearted. This is brutal stuff. They're going to go put themselves in danger. They're going to break new ground. They're going to go in new places. This is tough missionary work. So Barnabas comes up with the idea of, hey, John Mark, you think you want to go with us? You could be like our secretary, get us coffee, whatever, right? You can come hang out with us. We'll kind of teach you the ropes. You can be our protege. John Mark's like, man, that sounds awesome. I get a chance to be with you. I get a chance to be with Paul. Oh, that absolutely I'm in. And then he realized how hard ministry was. Ministry's tough. Halfway through the journey, he's done. They go, hey, John Mark, we're going up onto those mountains and who knows what's going to be there. And John says, I'm not going. I'm out. What do you mean you're out? Well, I'm already beat up. I'm freaked out. This is not what I signed up for. I'm gone. And Barnabas is like, yep, I understand you. And Paul's like, I don't understand you. Dude, that's what you signed up for. We go in, we die. That's how it works. John Mark can't handle it and he bails out. Second missionary journey comes around. Barnabas, who had finished the job with Paul, comes to him. And Paul says, the Lord's calling us again. Barnabas says, you bet. Let's do this thing. Let me give John Mark a call. I'm sorry, you're going to call who? Oh, your little pansy cousin. Is that who you're going to call? I don't want that guy anywhere around me. You bail out on me? You quit on me? No, I'm not relying on you. I don't hang out with quitters. They got in such an argument over it because Barnabas is going, Paul, you're kind of being a jerk here. I mean, we got to let this guy, he's, he's a new kid, man. We did, he's young. Give him a break. I don't give a break to that. Either you're with me or you're not. I don't got time for this. They got in such an argument. They never did ministry again together. Is that right? I don't think so. Did God redeem it? Yes. Does that make it right? No. They split up and Barnabas takes John Mark and they go one direction and Paul has to get a new partner and go on his missionary journey. So John Mark became famous as the quitter. Hmm, that's a tough call. But he wanted to change that reputation and he put in the hard work to do it. The first time we see Paul in a problem with him and then all of a sudden he starts writing about him and says, hey, This kid's a fellow worker of mine. By the time we get to the end of Paul's life, Paul says, I got to have that kid around. He's so useful to me. He is the representative of the redeemed. Is that you in church? Did you quit? Did you bail out on us? Did you bail out on Jesus? You used to be out there serving. You used to be out there loving the Lord. And then what? You got distracted. You got afraid. You had crash in your marriage. What happened to you? You got sidelined and now everybody, you're right. You broke trust. You were this leader and you walked away. The problem when you break trust is no one trusts your desire to come back. It's hard to reestablish trust. If you're not willing to put in the work, it's tough. But a lot of people, we don't want to put in the work. So we stay gone. Here's the problem with that. You know who John Mark is? He's the one that wrote the gospel of Mark. He wrote Peter, the leader of the early church's perspective. If we don't have John Mark restored, we don't have one fourth of our Jesus stories. If you stay gone, we lose. Well, nobody wants me to come back. 
God wants you to come back. People will figure it out. You got to work hard and restore trust. But if you don't come back, we don't have a full church. I know you stepped out for a variety of reasons. I need you home and I need you back in the mix and I need you strong. We'll sort it out, but we need you here. Amen? Amen. Let's keep moving forward. He said, verse 11, oh, and greetings from Jesus who is called Justice. Jesus Justice, that's a cool name. Jesus means savior, justice means righteousness. So you are the righteous savior. That's a pretty high name to live up to. Who's this guy? We have no idea. He's a Jew. That's about all we know. Why is he important? Because nothing's written about him. Who does he stand for? Everyone that works behind the scenes. Does everybody need to have their life splashed across the front page? Does everybody need to be fancy? Does everybody need to be up front? Does everybody need to have the stage? Does everybody? No. The majority of all Christian believers, no one will ever know the power of what God has done through you. But God will. And who really matters? God. We need to have our identity so solid that we are obedient to the Lord and let him figure it out. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. Let him make a name for you if he wants to. All the rest of us are the Jesus justice people where Paul said, I'll tell you what, I can't do ministry without him. What did they do? Doesn't matter. Well, what book did they write? They didn't write a book. They were faithful when everybody else wasn't. They were the ones that had the admin gifts. They're the ones that did the infrastructure. They're the ones that did the finance. They're the ones that did everything that allows the ministry to run and no one gets glory for it. That is the Jesus justice people. They are the majority of the church and they are the best. Be encouraged if that's you. You don't have to be flashy or mouthy in order to honor the Lord. Just be faithful. He said, these Aristarchus, John, Mark, and Jesus are the only men of the circumcision, the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And man, they've been a comfort to me. It's kind of sad that Paul, who grew up in a Jewish environment, was like the Jew of Jews, was instructed as a Jew in the university, loved his people to the point of death. And yet when it comes to Jewish guys, he only has three in the ministry. That's a bummer. Why is that so heartbreaking? Here's what it means to me. Those Jews understood Paul. The Gentiles had to learn to understand Paul. It is so nice to do ministry with people that get you. And you don't have to always explain yourself over and over and over. Man, Paul had a whole bunch of Jewish jokes and nobody got them but these guys. <laughs> He'd do things that he's like, Sabbath, ah, am I right? Am I right? And all the Gentiles are like, I don't know what you're talking about. So the Jews are like, ah, that's hilarious. It's, it's just so nice to go through life and have somebody understand you deeply. He only had three of those guys. The majority of all of Paul's difficulties came from his own people. That's a bummer. He was very lonely in that way. He said, Epaphras, who's one of you, he's from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you. Who's this guy? 
Epaphras, Pastor Epaphras. He's the guy who likely came into the ministry under Paul, goes back home and sets up all three churches. He probably set up the church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, and the church in Hierapolis. He is the bishop of the Lycus Valley. Y'all know that Pastor Parnell, who is here with us, sitting in the front row, just to point him out, that, that outside of this church, he is referred to as Bishop Lovelace. Do y'all know that? That, I mean, we call him Pastor Parnell, and that's kind of a personal little connection we have with him, but he is known as Bishop Lovelace. Why? Well, he has, from back of his tradition, that means a certain couple things, but here's how the rest of people use it. It means he's a leader of leader, a pastor of pastors. It means that he has a greater influence than simply the local church. When people refer to him as bishop, they're referring to a larger sphere of influence. Epaphras was bishop. He had multiple churches that he had watched over. He had a lot of voice into the community. He was a regional leader. But man, he loved his people. Take a look at this. He is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Do we need prayer warriors in the church? Oh, come on. You better believe it. How does Paul know he's a prayer warrior and what he prays about? Because they hang out together. Every time he hears this guy pray, and a lot of them prayed out loud. We do a lot of this quietly praying in our heads and all that kind of stuff. That is not the old school way of doing it. Praying was an out loud thing back in the day. This whole, well, it's between me and Jesus. Nope. It is, I will irritate you. I will, I will pray louder than you. I will pray while you're praying and I would make you go, oh, wait, where was I at? Where was I at? Right? That is the old school way of praying. And so they would pray together and he's like, Hey, Epaphras, you want to pray? Dude, I'm already on it. Hey, what are you praying about? Like his Valley churches. Uh, do you have any personal needs of your own? What do you mean? Well, do you have anything that's going on with you? I don't know. Like his Valley churches. That's who I'm praying for every time. And this word here means he's agonizing in prayer for them. He's wrestling in prayer for them. He's fighting for them to be free and alive and, and perfected in Christ. He can't let it go. These are his family. Do we need leaders like that? Oh man. He said, for I bear of him witness that he has worked hard for you. Guys, you don't need to worry. We're going to give your bishop back. He said, you don't need, he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Oh, and Luke, the beloved physician greets you. You know who Luke is? This guy's awesome. He is like the most beautiful picture of God. Here's why Luke's a doctor, right? Now we all know different people that are in the medical field and everything, but in the ancient world, it was tough to become a doctor. You had to have very specialized education and it was more rare, but once you were a doctor and if you were really good at what you did, you make bank. You could just go off and do your own thing and create your own world. And you could be the rich guy on the street. Luke had all that gifting and more. Luke was brilliant. How do we know that? Because all of his writings are in the best Greek. He knows how to write. He knows how to think. He is uber intelligent. And yet he used all of his gifting for the kingdom of God. Did he say, you know what? Uh, hey man, I got my Christianity thing on the side here and then I got my job. Why don't we blend those two? 
Why are we saying that they're separate worlds? That doesn't make any sense. You're a doctor. Use it for missionary work. You're excellent here. The rest of the world doesn't even have that type of care. How about you use that gift and go on a mission trip? That way you're bringing your excellence into the kingdom of God. I think that's incredible. And why is he a good representative of God? Because he is the perfect mix that we believe here at Bridgeway, which is the combination of miracle and medicine. Because check this out. He travels with Paul probably as Paul's primary and personal physician. That's a lot of humility for a guy that's that hardcore to go follow this guy around and minister to his needs. Paul was messed up. Paul had a messed up body. Paul had bad eyesight. Paul had all kinds of problems. He had to travel with his own doctor. Can you imagine how awkward that is? Hey, brother Paul, come on in here. Hey, everyone, the apostle Paul. And everyone's like, hey, he's going to lead us in a healing service. Hey, who's that guy in the front row? Oh, it's your doctor. Dude, that does not inspire faith, brother. If you're so good at healing stuff, do you remember how powerful he is in healing? Do you understand how God anointed him? It says that his aprons that he works in and his handkerchiefs can be taken and laid on people and demons come out and they're healed. Dude, if your clothes are anointed like that, you're hardcore anointed. And yet he had all these physical problems. Why? You go, oh, well, if you got all that, if you do that whole supernatural thing, if you're all about the charismatic thing, dude, heal yourself. Do you understand that's not how it works? He's not a superhero. He serves a super God. And God said, if I heal you, you could probably become a super jerk. So we're not doing that. Guess what? It's kind of hard to be cocky, huh, buddy, when you can't even see the page. You don't even write this in your own hand, do you? Somebody else has to write for you. The stuff that Paul has seen, the places that he's gone, the heavens that he has seen, the angels that he has seen, Jesus personally that he has seen. You have anointing where your clothes are healing and casting out demon. And what? God says, and you're broken. And that's where I need you. You need to go get Luke. He'll take care of you. Isn't that powerful? That's God right there. If we don't have Luke in the ministry, you know what we miss? The gospel of Luke. And Acts. You would have no idea of the early power of the church without this man right here. Have you ever read the book of Acts? It's one of the most fascinating, extraordinary books of all time. It gives us a roadmap on what the church is supposed to look like. It all came through this guy. If he would have said, yeah, I don't really do that. I'm not really in the ministry. I do medical work. The answer in Bridgeway is we do both. Be great at your job. I don't need you quitting your job and entering ministry. I just need you to use your gifts in the ministry. Big difference. And then he says this. So Luke greets you and so does Demas. Demas says hi. Well, that's kind of lame. What do you mean Demas says hi? That's all he gets? Yeah, there's a reason for that. Why? Well, first time Paul mentions him, he said, oh, he's a fellow worker of mine, Demas. Y'all know him, right? Next time he mentions him, he's like, yeah, he said hi. Why? Because the third time he mentions it, he mentions Demas walked away from the ministry. This is a guy going the other direction. So Demas used to be a partner in the ministry, but it says because of the love of the world, 
he abandoned and walked away. Is that you in church? Are you the one heading on your way out? You're just looking for one more reason to bail out on Jesus. You're angry about stuff. You got your own issues. You're distracted. All this other stuff is drawing your attention. And so you're just going to walk away, right? What's God writing about you? Because Demas was going the wrong direction. Do you understand that John Mark was headed back into the church and Demas was headed out of the church? Which direction are you headed? Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Ancient manuscripts have it different. One has nymphes, that's masculine. One has nympha, which is feminine. So which is it? The best manuscripts have nympha, which means it is likely a woman. And if she's mentioned without her husband, that means she is either a widow or the primary. If it's happening in her house, she's either the host or the leader of the church. No one can ever convince me that women are not incredibly powerful in the ministry. Jesus' whole ministry was funded by women. They were the ones at the foot of the cross. I will always hold a very high regard for the power of women in ministry. Why? Because without you ladies, nothing gets done. You are anointed by God. You are empowered by God. You are gifted by God to turn the world upside down. And I will never say otherwise. This lady is an example. And when this letter, he says in verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. Do we have that letter? No, probably not. It's probably been lost. It'd be super cool if we found it, huh? And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. What is that? That's called accountability and getting busted. Your name is written in the best-selling book of all time as the guy who needs to be held accountable. Because the peer pressure of the rest of the team is Paul goes, hey, I gave Archippus a job. You all know what that is. Make sure he handles it. That'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> Whoops. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember, I can't write all the rest of it. I don't really see too well these days. So I got my secretary writing it for me, but I need to make sure you know this isn't a forgery. So I write real big, Paul, at the end of it. And you know it's me. Grace be with you. What a beautiful letter, yeah? Grace be with you. And you kind of go, oh, look at Paul being nice. That's so cute. I don't think that's how Paul looked at it. Why? Because I think the grace of God is everything to Paul. Why? Y'all remember what he did before he got saved? He was a Christian killer. The only reason he has any place in the kingdom is the grace of God. He didn't earn it. He's a psychopath. <laughs> then he grows up Jewish, only wants to hang out with Jews. God makes him go to the non-Jews. He would never have a love for those people and a passion for those people and such a powerful ministry to those people without the grace of God. And then Paul saw that every bit of empowerment and anointing that he had on his life was the grace of God. So he said, hey guys, when I look at my life, the only difference is grace. So if I'm going to wish anything for you, I want you to have more grace. I want you to know the grace God has. I want you to know his love. And I want you to know that the whole reason you're in ministry is not because you're awesome. It's because he is gracious. Amen. 
Can we have the prayer team come on up here? Here's how we're going to close out. Who are you in this story? And what prayer do you need? There are some of you that need to return and you need to be the John Mark. Some of you need to hear someone pray with you and mention the word forgiveness and grace. And you need to be restored back into the fold of the body. There are some of us that we need to be empowered, that we are odd and different, and that's okay. That we don't need to be like everybody else. We just need to be us. There's some of us that need to have a blessing over our ability to work out in the marketplace and change it for the Lord, that we don't have to quit our jobs and go into regular ministry. You are in ministry. I don't know what your spirit needs, but during this whole message, I would hope that God stirred stuff up in you. Because every one of us is different and every one of us is absolutely necessary. If you are on the sideline, we are not healthy. I want everyone in the mix using the gifts to the degree that you're able. Doesn't mean everybody has to lead everything. Some of us have to quietly serve and be the faithful ones behind the scenes. I need you to know that God thinks that is glorious. Well done, my good and faithful servant is the only thing we need to hear, right? From our king. The altar is open as I finish praying. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are rich in this place. You have told me and revealed to me that this is your weekend to work. You're doing stuff that's just different today. Therefore, God, it is not dependent on any person it's dependent on you. We ask that you would walk among us and touch every single one of our hearts. We pray that you would walk among our kids, touch them and anoint them, empower them and strengthen them. Father, may your encouragement wash over this place. That every single one of us would know that we are individually designed beautifully by you. That we don't have to be like everybody else. But when we're together, you shine. So would you fall upon us and knit together and heal all that does not need to stay? Anything you want us to walk through, would you give us the strength and the courage and the faith to handle it? And Holy Spirit, show yourself mighty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is open. Have a wonderful weekend.